Would you pray with me, please? Jesus, thank you for uh, providing us with this time this morning. Lord, as we look at your word, we just, I just pray that you would give us open hearts and open minds to receive it, that you would find uh, in us fertile fields ready to take the seed of your word and uh, have it flower into full blossom and produce the fruit in our lives that you would have it produce. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, for not just ascending and leaving us here on, your own, on our own, but you have, uh, you've gifted us with your word and your spirit and empowered us to go forth and, and represent your kingdom. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to continue uh, in Mark this morning, and it's, a, it's an interesting passage and one that at first reading uh, didn't seem like there was a lot there until I started digging into it a little bit more and realized, no, there's actually quite a bit here for us. So uh, it's a f- somewhat familiar passage. Uh, I'll, I'll read it, and then we'll just uh, we'll kind of go into it a little bit. But we're in Mark 6, uh, right at the beginning of Mark 6. So we'll be going th- uh, down through about verse 6 here. So Jesus went out from there, there being Capernaum, and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him, which if you remember was Nazareth, right? That's his hometown. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things, and what is this wisdom given to him, and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and, and uh, Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his own relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there, except that he, had laid, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. So Jesus, uh, yeah, it's, it, the, the, I guess the title of this is a bit like uh, there, there's no such thing as a local expert, right? Uh, I had a uh, soils professor in college that loved to tell the story. Uh, when they were building the new basketball coliseum, they had selected their site for the new basketball coliseum. And uh, he told them that that was a really bad place to put the basketball coliseum because the little creek that flowed right past it, all of that area where they were going to build it, all the soils were, were flood soils. <laughs> they showed high evidence of water inundation a lot. But, of course, there's no local experts, so they built the basketball arena right there. And as they were almost finished laying the parquet floor for the, uh, for the surface, a flood came and filled the basketball arena up to just below the level of the goal, <laughs> which is a little less than 10 feet. Uh, and now if you go past the basketball arena at Stephen F. Austin State University, you'll see these large earthen dikes built all the way around it in a horseshoe to keep that from happening again. And he would just chuckle and say, yep, they didn't listen to me. Uh, anyway, so no such thing as a local expert, right? In order to be an expert, you have to come from out of town and carry a briefcase or something like that. So anyway, uh, that's a bit what Jesus goes through here. So let's, the setting is, is Nazareth. And Nazareth today is, is a, if you were to go today on one of the journeys of understanding, it's a fairly good-sized city. It's a little bit larger than New Braunfels, and it's, there's a lot of activity and a lot going on and, and lots of sites that people make pilgrimage to in Nazareth. Um, but at, th- at this time, Nazareth was anything but that. 
uh, it was maybe, there were maybe about 400 people living in Nazareth. And those 400 people were predominantly farmers. And, uh, and, in, and in this society, uh, 400 people living in the same village, you're talking about extended families and clans, right? So everybody's almost related at this point. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with it. My mom grew up in a town very, very much like this in, in rural southern Indiana. And it's, in fact, it's still like this. Uh, but there are just a handful of families and everybody knew everybody and they would intermarry and, and they were very, uh, very tight knit. And there was just one church and every, there, you didn't, you weren't, you didn't get to pick if you were like a Baptist or a Methodist or a Lutheran. There was one church and everybody went to the one church. And that's also the community center and the hub of life for this little, uh, this little community. And, and, and so you, you're very intimately acquainted with everybody that you live with. And that's kind of the way Nazareth is at this point. Everybody knows everybody. Uh, you know not just who they are, but you you know, if you're old enough, you knew their grandparents or maybe their great grandparents. And you know how. And, and so this is a very small, very tight knit community, a Jewish community. So, again, there's one church. <laughs> it's the synagogue. And, uh, uh, and, and this this happens to be um, uh, a, 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 the the second time Jesus has come back to his hometown. The first time was right after his temptation in the wilderness. And so after all that's over, he's been baptized by John. He has the 40 days in the wilderness. He shows up at Nazareth for the first time in the same synagogue. And that's where he gets out the scroll of Isaiah. And it reads this section of Isaiah that prophesies the coming of the Messiah and rolls it up and says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody's like, oh, wait a minute, but we know who, wait, we know who you are, though. And, and that's when they try to haul him off and throw him off the bluff, but he slips out. And so that was the last time Jesus was in his hometown, as they all kind of gathered up and they, they tried to kill him because they didn't like what he was saying. This time when he's there, uh, it's, it's a little bit different. And this is, this, the, the village is probably Mary's family, not Joseph's family. This is probably his mom's family. And so they know, they know Jesus. They've known Jesus since he was the size of these little kids running around here. This is where they came when they came back after they'd been in exile for a couple of years in Egypt. Remember, Herod was trying to kill every, all the little boys, and so they went to Egypt. Anyway, they come back, they, hang, they go to Nazareth. So he grew up here. And Mary grew up there, and Mary's mom grew up there. And so that's, that's where he is. And this time, it's a little bit different. Uh, if you think about, as I started looking at this story, I started thinking, well, wait a minute, what's not here? What's missing? And at this point, you remember, he just came from Capernaum, and there were crowds, right? I mean, we just heard about the, the woman with the, the flow of blood that just that bumped up against him and was healed. And they're like, well, what do you mean, who touched you? There's people everywhere, right? So he's used to being in crowds at this point. The word is out. People know who Jesus is. And when he shows up, the crowd shows up. Uh, but there's no crowd in Nazareth. There's also no mob out to get him, right? The religious leaders are not there. Even though the last time they tried to throw him off the cliff, they don't seem to take that position this time. In fact, you know, so the, in the responses to Jesus's uh, ministry and teaching, you know, usually, sometimes it's, you know, the crowds of people saying, Jesus, heal us, Jesus, we want to be with you, Jesus, teach us, feed us, whatever. Or it's the mobs that are saying, we're going to trip you up and we're going to, you know, come up with a reason to kill you and get rid of you. None of that is present present here. He teaches, right? And everybody goes, wow, we like your teaching. 
And so that's pretty good. And then it's like, and all the people said, meh. And they went home. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's just Jesus. We know who he is. He's not a big deal. Uh, it's just Jesus, right? I mean, it's just Mary's son, Joseph's son. He, was a, he, he built the door on my house. Like, it's Jesus. Why would we be impressed with him? Uh, we know who he is. Uh, and so his, his teaching was great. But then there's this curious little passage in, the, in, this, uh, in what we read that said uh, that, and depending on the version, you may have a version in your Bible that said he couldn't do many miracles because of their unbelief. That kind of struck me. I was like, wait a minute. Because he just, he just healed the tomb guy, right, that had all the demons in it. And I'm, he wasn't even Jewish. So I'm pretty sure that prior to being healed of the demon possession, this guy didn't believe in Jesus. And he just raised the leader of the synagogue and Capernaum's daughter from the dead. She was dead. There was no belief going on with her. And, and there's all kinds of times when Jesus heals somebody and, and they didn't even have an opportunity. To, I mean, sometimes he heals people remotely, right? And, and they just, they're healed and they never even knew Jesus was around. That happens. So what, what, why was he not able to do miracles because of their unbelief? And so... I would suggest, and see what you think about this, but you may not agree with me, and that's fine, but I would think that unbelief here is more like their unwillingness to believe. Does that make sense? You see the distinction there? They're unwilling. Like, it doesn't matter what Jesus would have done. They just weren't going to believe that he was the Messiah because, eh, it's just Jesus. Nothing you're going to do is going to impress us. You know, it's like if you went back to your family reunion <laughs> after you proved everybody wrong and you really did make something of yourself and you've got a nice family and you've got a nice house and everybody goes, eh, it's just you. You're still a punk. You know, that's kind of the response to Jesus. It wouldn't have mattered what Jesus had done, right? Jesus could have done, you know, I mean, pick the miracle. I mean, pick it. And they would all just go, eh, it's just Jesus. So what? We're still not buying the Messiah thing. You know, we liked your teaching at the Sabbath, you know, at the synagogue. That's good teaching. Messiah? I don't think so. You're just Jesus. You're a carpenter. And that's kind of the dynamic that we see going on right here. And I th- so I think that the reason that he couldn't perform many miracles wasn't because that somehow their unbelief was preventing him. Like that, that bring, brings up all kinds of real theological problems, right? Like, could our unbelief really prevent the God of the universe from doing something? Like that, that's giving yourself way, way too much credit. <laughs> uh, if Jesus wanted to do it, he could have done it. But he didn't do it because it wouldn't have mattered. They'd already made up their minds. Case closed. You're just Jesus. We're not impressed. Even his family, right? I mean, he's hanging out with his family. I mean, that's probably part of why he went there. We're in the neighborhood. I'm going to go see mom, go see my brothers and sisters. And we know very much that, of, you know, we've got a list of his brothers there. And then, you know, typical for the time and his sisters, like they weren't worth mentioning individually. But anyway, uh, James, we know. Right, so James, we know was was uh, was not on, you know, on Jesus' side while he's alive. But then after the resurrection, Jesus shows up, and James is like, "Oh, well, maybe there was something to that Messiah thing." And then he goes on to be a follower of Jesus, one of the pillars of the early church in Jerusalem. And that book that you've got back there in a few pages uh, called James, that was him writing. That's James, the brother of Jesus, that wrote that. 
So there was a point at which James came around, and maybe some of his other siblings too. We don't know. Uh, but we haven't got there yet. <laughs> They're like, are you kidding me? I used to beat you up. How are you the Messiah? Give me a break. And, but it does make you wonder why they wouldn't believe. What was getting in the way? Why would why had they just dismiss Jesus outright? Could have been pride, I suppose, right? I mean, pride would keep you from doing that. Like, pfft. I'm better than you are, you know, I'm, I'm older than you. I, I taught you in the synagogue. I, I was your teacher. What do you mean you're the Messiah? You know, I remember when you wet your pants. Give me a break. So maybe there's some pride to it. Uh, maybe, maybe there's a resistance to, uh, well, maybe it's the no local expert thing like we were talking about. Like, uh, you, you, we, just, we know too much about you to buy into that. Uh, or maybe it was just not wanting change, right? Resistant to change. Because if Jesus really is the Messiah and we buy into that, then things start looking a little different, right? I mean, you get you get you got to reorient things. I mean, there's there's some guys that are there with Jesus that that happened to. Like they bought into it when Jesus was walking along the shore of the, the shore of Galilee, and he looked at the fishermen and he said, "Hey, you guys want to follow me?" then there was, some, there was some big change in their life at that point. They were no longer commercial fishermen ever again. They went fishing a few times, but it wasn't because, it was more because they were looking for something to do. Uh, it, it was a change, a big change. And if you follow Jesus, and if you read what Jesus said, he came to be a change agent, right? There's that really curious passage in the New Testament and the Gospels where Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to separate a man from his family and father against uh, son and brother against brother. There's this really weird passage. But what Jesus is getting at is, I am a change agent. I did not come to endorse status quo. I did not come to be a part of what was already happening. I came to be a change agent and a change agent for the kingdom of God. Right? That's what he came for, to introduce the kingdom of God on earth. But it does change things, because we don't have much of the kingdom of God without Jesus. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so things have to change if he is the Messiah. If he's the Messiah, then we've got a whole new program. And so because of their unwillingness to believe that, it limited what Jesus could do in their community. I think Jesus wanted to do a lot more. You couldn't convince me that there weren't people that meant more to Jesus than the people that he grew up with. I mean, think about it. I mean, these are the people that he knows better than anybody else, too. He knows them better than his disciples. He knows them better than Mary and Martha. He knows these people better than anybody else. And I really believe that he wanted to do so much in their community. Because he loved them so much. He grew up with them. But because of their unwillingness to believe him, it limited what he was able to do there. Because it wouldn't have mattered what he did. And so that's kind of the story that we have here. There's this no local expert. The people have dismissed him outright. We'll take your teaching. That's fine. We like that. Not into the Messiah thing. That's all right. That's kind of cute. We're not going to kill you this time, but meh. You're just Jesus. But it started me asking some questions. Do we buy into all of Jesus? Or do we like to just take the bits and parts of Jesus that fit nicely with what we've already got going on? 
Or do we take the whole thing? Are we willing for Jesus to disrupt our lives? You know, we, we like the Christmas Jesus, right? Cute little baby in the manger. That's nice. That's sweet. We sing songs. We love the Christmas Jesus. Easter Jesus? That's a little tougher. Because if Easter Jesus is the real Jesus, then things just got real different. If he really did get out of that tomb, if in like not just some weird ghost, but like, bodily got up out of that tomb and he is who he claimed to be then he came to shake things up and he came to uh, invite us into the kingdom that is supposed to be here anyway he came to set things right is the way we like to say it in the vineyard but then the assumption in wanting to come to set things right is that the status quo ain't right Like there are things about the status quo that need to be changed. And so if we're real comfortable where we are, and you can can feel free to disagree. This is just something I've come to feel in my own walk following Jesus. If I'm feeling real comfortable where things are, then either Jesus is right about to ask me to do something that's not comfortable or I'm not following him at all. One of the two. That's just me. You may disagree with that. Because in my experience, when you really take Jesus for who he is and you say, okay, I will follow you. What he does is time and time again, take you to the end of whatever you think you've got that you can count on. (laughs) Whether that's your job, whether that's, you know, some great skill set that you think you have that nobody else has or that you can offer the world and think that you're great or whatever. He's going to take you to the limit of yourself or what you count on or what you depend on. And then he's going to ask you to take another step. And you're going to say, yeah, but I can't because I don't have this anymore. And you're like, that's exactly why I call it faith. So now take the next step. That's not very comfortable. In fact, it can be extremely terrifying. And even worse, sometimes he asks your kids to do the same thing. (laughs) And and then you're really uncomfortable, right? Because, well, something something bad may happen to my kid. I don't get to control that. Jesus says, yeah, I know. I got you. It's faith for all of us. So are we willing to take all of Jesus and really follow him? Or are we going to be more like the folks that he grew up with? Because like we're pretty used to Jesus too, right? I mean, we've grown up in church where we sing songs about him all the time. We're really used to Jesus. And, and to be real honest, there's the Jesus that I tend to focus on more than some of the other parts of Jesus. I get real caught up in my own, you know, I like this part of Jesus a lot. And then I'll study that and I'll read about that or whatever. But I fall into the same trap that these folks did of just wanting to pick and choose what parts of Jesus I take. And you hear that all the time in in popular discussions about Jesus, right? There's like, oh, yeah, Jesus is a great teacher. Yeah, yeah, good teacher, good moral guy. Oh, God? No, no, no. (laughs) That's ridiculous. Messiah? No, 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 no. Good teacher, though. Good teacher. 
We do that all the time ourselves, and we fall into that trap. But if we're going to take Jesus for who he is, it's going to get a little scary. And it's going to change our world. And it's not going to be comfortable all the time. Because our world needs to change. Our world needs to reflect the kingdom of God. Our world needs to produce the fruit of that kingdom. And that doesn't happen when we just pick and choose the part of Jesus that we think is pretty nice and we leave the rest of it behind. But if we really follow Jesus, if we really follow the Easter Jesus, not just the Christmas Jesus, but we really follow the risen Jesus, then it's going to get uncomfortable, just like it did for the folks in the Gospels that followed him. So... Kind of our challenge today, as I see it, or at least the challenge for me personally, and you can join me in this if you want, is to not be like the folks that were really familiar with Jesus and dismissed him out of that familiarity, but to take him for who he says he is, at his own word, at his own actions, and to say yes to all of Jesus, not just yes to the comfortable parts of Jesus, but to say yes to all of Jesus and follow him in that faith. So... Can I invite you to stand and pray with me? Feel free to pray along if, if you're kind of in the same boat. So Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me for limiting what you would like to do in my life because of my unwillingness to accept all of who you are. Forgive me for my tendency to... Uh, segment you into parts of my life or to pick and choose the parts of you that I choose to follow. Lord, give me the strength that I need to follow all of you, wherever that is, wherever it goes, whatever you have me do. And Jesus has reminded me that in that process, when it does get uncomfortable or scary that you are a good, good God. Jesus, help us as a community to encourage each other to follow all of you. Help us as a community to support each other as we do that. Lord, we want to do that because we want to see your kingdom come. And help us to be the agents of change in our community that you would have us be. And help us to do that with the same grace and humility that you showed us. In Jesus' name, amen.